Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never been heard before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about. So you can create the life that you really want, but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And today I have a very, very special guest. And don't get me crying already. But before I introduce her, I'm going to show you my books. Uh, this is the la latest book that I did, Your Bullshit is Your Blessing. It talks about the two sides of life that I've discovered. And if you get stuck on one, this is your ticket out. I recommend it highly available on Amazon. Then in reverse chronological order, real talk, if there are things you don't say and you don't have the life you want, get this book, you'll start saying them and your life will miraculously be different. And then there's my very old favorite, your second piece of French toast, the second piece of French toast, a memoir about me when I first discovered I was stuck and how I got unstuck. So thank you for that. Um, Today, I have a very special guest. Um, she is a wellness and empowerment coach and a Reiki and intuitive healer. And I have worked with her and she made a lasting impact on my life. She is, oh, here I go. She's gentle and kind and loving and interesting. And we're going to talk about her life today. Um, and I've known her, I don't know how many years, at least. I'll say 10, but um, anyway, welcome, Diane, Diane Pratt. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. Hello. Hi, Hillary. Thank you so much. And uh, it's so great to be here. And now you have me crying. <laughs> well, the key is to have tissues so your nose doesn't run down your face. Yes. That's right. So, that's that's right. The key. <laughs> so anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. And um so we were talking about uh, Diane's life, and unlike me, who was born in America, raised in America, Diane, she was born in Canada, then ended up in Europe, and then came to America. So t can you tell us a little about that and your parents and how that how that transpired? Absolutely. So I always joke, my parents are both European, and they met in Canada, they got married, and I'm like, really? Like... You couldn't have made married Canadians and stayed, but you know, that's just my sense of humor. And, right. um, and so, um, and then went uh, back to Europe. And um, so that marriage did not last. Um, and, and where were they, where were they from in uh, Europe? So my mom's Austrian. Um, okay. So we're Austrian and um, between Austria and Italy. Because, uh, you know, my mom grew up during the war, so the borders always changed, right, depending on who was in power at the time. And then my dad's Maltese from the island of Malta. And um, wow. yeah, so uh, uh, if you haven't been, it's a great spot to visit. It's a great spot to visit. Where? Well, now where? I know I should know, but where is it actually? 
What's it's, it off um, of? It's below Sicily. It's between Sicily and Libya, kind of. It's a little island in the Mediterranean. They're independent. Wow. Um, you know, I when people say, "What is your, um, what is your background, or what is your heritage?" I always say I'm a Heinz 57 because the reality is <laughs> Malta was invaded by, you know, over time in history by almost everyone that had a ship. So what happened in those days is, you know, they, I'll say it in a nice way, they procreated with the women unwillingly. And so- Raped and pillaged. We call it raped and pillaged, right? <laughs> let's be let's be real, right? So that's what the yes. show's about. So be real about it. And, um, you know, so- generations now we have that all in us but um anyway um so anyway went back to europe and uh each married someone else and that's how i uh became came to america and it was actually i was about seven or eight and it was a time in my life where you know i um didn't really have girl scouts but we had other uh at that time there were other programs for children to go on camp and do this and so it was just a time in my life where I was um, noticing my life and how I thought it, I wanted it to go. And the next thing I know uh, is my mom is getting married after two years of dating with uh, my stepfather. And we're going. His he worked. He was a civilian working for the uh, government, and his term was up. So he was coming. So they home. were in August. They met in Austria. No, they met in Germany. Oh, in Germany. Okay. Okay. Wow. In Germany. And um, so, so when your parents got divorced, you ended up with your mom? I ended up with my mom. And uh, so we lived in Austria for a while. My aunt was uh, her husband. My uncle was also in the military, was stationed in Germany. And that's how we went to Germany. And uh, so my mom also worked for, uh, for the uh, military at the time as a civilian. And so the, um, so the U.S. Army, the U.S. Army. Wow. Yeah. And then did you see your dad? Did you get to see your dad? Yeah, every summer. Yeah. Every summer. Oh, my dad is uh, 90 years old now. So <laughs> still, still. Uh, Where is he now? Is he's he here? In, he's in Australia. Yeah, he uh, you know, we talk about inspiration and life change. So when he was about 50 years old, when he was um, probably 13, he wanted to go to Australia. Um, couldn't go, obviously, at 13. Then when he was uh, young, he wanted to go to Australia. He actually had a uh, dental um, invitation to go to dental school in Australia when he was probably 18 or so. And, um, you know, Australia is far. It's, it's far whether you live in the United States or Europe. And so his parents said no, uh, but they would let him go to Canada. So at the age of 50, he fulfilled his lifelong dream of wanting to live in Australia. And so he did. And so he went. But Was he a dentist? Was he a no, dentist? He's an entrepreneur. He's owned his own businesses. He's had cleaning businesses. He's an accountant. Uh, when he went to Australia, he invented how to catch and um, and catch seals, keep them in a tank alive for, you know, selling for food. So he studied the fish industry for about uh, all the fish for about a year and a half or two. And then, you know, he opened that and did that for a while. Uh, my dad uh, did many different things. Um, you know, Wait, they eat seals. The eels. 
Oh, eels. eels. I thought you said seals. I'm like, I didn't know they ate seals. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Eels. Wow. So he invented that. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. But um, so anyway, my mom got married and, and we come to the United States and, um, you know, was not my choice. I was not very happy about it because my life and, was going well. <laughs> and how old were you? I was about eight. Eight. Okay. Yeah. So you have a say at eight, right? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I had a say and, and <laughs> I didn't have a say, but I, right. and, um, you know, so anyway, we came here and, um, I, I grew up learning and speaking Italian, English, and German. So the language was not a barrier. Um, learning, you know, the, the grammar and, and uh, sentence structure and all that, that was a challenge. And, um, you know, coming here and, and having an accent. And um, so when people speak of being made fun or picked on, I've experienced that. Um, I was not familiar with the black white situation um you know the white white and african-american situation so i got on a black bus and you know, like it was a bus <laughs> it was a bus where were, where what state was this it happened to be pennsylvania pennsylvania had black and white buses um you know they didn't have black and white buses per se it's what the students did right so it just turned out that way i think but um, because it was never really a conversation, it was right. just something I noticed. And so I couldn't really relate to it because I didn't grow up with any of the conversations that a child grows up with around race. Um, in my family and in Europe, you don't really, you know, back then, I can't speak for now, but when I was growing up in Europe, you didn't really have a, a racial issue based on color you had more of a status issue based on the country you come from. Really? And the status. So, you know, that's different because everyone is pretty much the same skin color or a version of, right? So like, you know, but um, so, yeah. And, you know, and um, so went along, I decided I was going to be a graphic designer and I had my life mapped out again. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go to the, at that time, uh, the, the vocational school, which allowed me to work one week and go to school one week. And I was going to be a graphic designer and I knew the company and I just had it all planned out. It was my last year of uh, my senior year. And lo and behold, my stepfather gets a uh, promotion. So he gets this promotion and now we have to move. <laughs> And so when we move, um, the school I have to go to, because it's in the district that we're living in, has, um, they had architecture. They didn't have graphic design. So I took that and, um, or a, uh, a version, something, was it architecture? Anyway, it wasn't. So graphic this is high school? This, this is, is high, high school. school. This is my okay. senior year in high school. They made you move senior year. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to stay with a family in Pennsylvania. I had it all set up and, and then in the end it didn't work out. So, oh. you know, um, intervention from above, I'll say that, you know, I wasn't happy, but we'll go with it. And, and did uh, you, do you have siblings or were you the only child? No, I have a brother. So I had a brother. So it was my brother. From, 
from your Mom. original father or yeah. the stepfather? Right, my original father, and then I have uh, step siblings, and then I have okay. half siblings. So yeah. And and was your brother? Would he come with you? He went to Germany. Oh, yeah, he was. He, he was, was always there. So, okay. Yeah, he was. Okay. He was, he was always there. Always there. So okay. was um, he? Wait, was he older? Sorry, was he older or younger? Younger. Younger. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the oldest uh, between us, and um, so I took this graphics, uh, uh, not graphics. I took this architect class, which requires math. So Mm. I'm an artist. I can draw to scale. I can look at some. I I could then. I I don't know about now, but I was able to look and and draw something to scale. (laughs) But put a math problem in front of me, my brain, you know, my that side of the brain just didn't work. So here I am, I entered into a competition, totally bombed, you know, like let the teacher down. He, he fought for me and he was my biggest cheerleader. Uh-huh. Because he saw that I had, um, I had the talent, right? So I had the vision. I could project what something would look like. If, you know, I could say, we'll make this blue and we'll make this white. And, and I could envision what it would actually look like, which is a talent. Not everyone has that. And so he really cheered for me and um, it didn't work. And of course, rebelling also because I had to move. I didn't, I I thought I knew everything. So lo and behold, my parents were called into school (laughs) because I had bad grades. You know, I went from ABC to like all C's. (laughs) So, um, you know, here I am on the verge of being an adult and my parents go to school and they're like, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong? What are you doing? And uh, needless to say, I stepped it up. And as a matter of fact, in my history class um, was a, we were in the state of Virginia. He was a staunch Virginian, um, very true to his time. He was the history teacher. He really should have lived in the 1700s. (laughs) Men were it, women were. And my biggest accomplishment was that there was a student uh, in my class whose family was actually in Washington. They were in the government. He was studying and that was going to be his future, right? Is going in the government. I beat him on the history test. (laughs) Yay. And he actually said in front of me and him, how can you let a girl beat you? (laughs) You know, so those were the times we grew up in. and And you said, go back to the 1700s where you belong. That's right. That's right. Wow. You know. So you, so you graduated high school and and where did you go after that? I did a, um, I did a, uh, I went for the holidays to visit my uh, family in Switzerland. I took the opportunity to uh, go and take some art courses there. So I did that uh, for summer and then, um, and then I came back uh, to the United States and um, you know, started part-time college working. I was fortunate. I started out in a in in a department store, and um, you know, always was very good at knowing who had my back, so to speak. Who who were my allies as I was doing going through my career? And uh, this gentleman who um, had been in the department store forever. Um, you know, really rooted for me, wanted me to go into the buying and uh, buying uh, 
uh, course that they had and, and do all with, you know, the executive, I think the executive uh, program that they called it. Mm. And um, he retired. And so my, my cheerleader was gone. And from mm. there, I went into a, a different company working with a shoe company. And uh, there was a, I was there for a year. Then I became the manager. And what, what shoe company was it? Was it like a big one or a, a local? It was a family owned shoe company called Butler Shoes. They were out of uh, Georgia. And um, and uh, so I was a shoe manager. That's where I learned, you know, I mean, it's hands on training, right? So you learn to deal with people, you how how to speak with employees, how to hire, how to interview all those great things that, um, you know, you're just kind of thrown into when it's a good thing. You know, in the end, if you look at it at the end, it's a great thing. In the beginning, you're like, I can't do this. How am I going to do this? All those things, right? If someone doesn't show up, you have to stay because there's no one else to come in. All the great things. But we had a visit from the um, corporate buying office. And because I had lived in Europe and because I knew the shoe industry and fashion, I was always interested and had those conversations. I was invited to about six or eight months later, I was invited to interview for a merchandising position in the corporate office. And this was a time where even my uh, regional director said to me, you're a woman, you shouldn't be here. <clears throat> Now, what year, can I ask, what year are we talking? I was like in my 20s. Right. Um, like which <clears throat> decade? Oh, tw- uh, 80s. And it was still like that? Um, I'm sorry. Towards the end of the 70s. <clears throat> yeah. I'm trying to remember. He just, wow. He just, he just was, you know, old fashioned. Old fashioned. Uh, what state? What state was the corporate? Uh, the corporate was in Georgia. He was from Georgia, the okay. he was from the Carolinas. So, so I would I would blame the Southerners for that. <laughs> no blame, <laughs> just a reality, right? Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it wasn't yeah. like the fifties, right? It was the eighties. So it okay. wasn't, and you know, these are all the obstacles that uh, prepared me for today. Yeah, yeah. So okay, and, go ahead. And so, uh, so corporate came to visit. And these were the days where you actually um, had to decorate your own windows. We had windows, you know, left and right. Oh. And yeah. um, I mean, you got a schematic, but you had to do that. And so corporate came in at the same time. Yeah, it was the late 70s. At the same time in this particular company, um, they had it separated. It's the time when you bought shoes, you would get a matching handbag, you'd get pantyhose, you know, that's how we sold to our clients. Like in the, was it department stores? It wasn't like a little shoe store, right? A woman's shoe store. Yeah. Yeah. Women's and children's shoe store. We didn't have men's shoes. So they had handbags and all that other stuff too? And uh, one of the uh, merchants from the handbag department wanted to transfer to the shoe department and um they did not give her that position so she went to court and the judge told the company you have to hire a woman into that position and so i was invited 
And for a long time, I would say I got the job because I'm a woman. However, what I really, uh, that's not a true statement. I got an opportunity to interview because I was a woman, but there were three other women. That and was she one of them? No. No? She, she was set in her position. She had a lifelong job because they did not promote her, but they were also not going to let her go. And when the judge said you have to take a woman, they weren't saying you have to take her. That's correct. Right? That's Isn't right. that interesting that she took him to court and didn't even get what she wanted? Yeah, that's interesting. But yes, so with that, um, you know, there was the interview process. And um, then there was the waiting process. And I really wanted it. You know, I, um, I went, I said what I said, the interview went. I know the other, uh, I had met one of the other candidates just in passing. And so I knew that I was up against other candidates that had actually been with the company uh, longer. But, you know, I took over the store, increased business. I don't have numbers, but I, you know, we went up in, in business and uh, I followed all the rules and regulations. <laughs> so, you know, so you were the manager. You weren't just selling shoes. You were actually in charge of the whole thing, right? I was in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. I was in charge, which, um, you know, looking back now, I was uh, in my 20s. I was like, you know, but um, good for me. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did get the position. And I was the new merchandiser. And um, that's when, and I don't know if they still have them today, because we're not so much in an office um, after COVID, but that's when all the... Um, Spaces had the long dividers, like the partitions that that were in offices, and you had a cubicle. I mean, that's when yeah. it started, right. And I was, I was, I came out of the ladies' room, and there was a wall, and then there was a partition. And the vice president said to the buyer that was going to show me around, "Don't you dare touch that girl." And you heard him. I heard him. They didn't know I heard him. And then he said some other things and when he, and it, it just, you know, just happened. And, and I, I was thankful for that. Actually, I thought it was funny and, and um, not funny, haha, but you know, interesting. And uh, so I heard him. So I wait a second, he says some other things and then I meet up with them and he's introducing me to him and telling me he's going to show me where the hotel is and all that good stuff. So uh, we had dinner and, you know, it crossed my mind. Do I flirt with this guy or not? <laughs> I mean, I didn't, but, and he was married and, and one of my, uh, oh. you know, he was married, he already was married and had children. So there wasn't that. And, and we were going to have a working relationship, but I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Then, you know, how my career went and from there, uh, stayed there about 10 years and then they wow. downsized and they got bought out by, you know, there was a, a point in the United States where shoe companies were downsizing and, and being taken over. And that's when we started going to uh, making shoes overseas. Most of the shoes overseas were always Italy. And now we were going to China because we wanted less expensive products. So, um, you know, from there, I went to um, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, I 
in the meantime, from that job, I worked in a, a department store just to tide over until I could find something. And everyone was telling me, go to New York, go to New York. But in that time, I just knew it wasn't right for me. And so I went to, um, I didn't know I was going to go to Montgomery, Alabama, but I had a colleague from my um, from the shoe company that I worked at call me and say, they have, a, they have a position open. Why don't you come down here? And I did. And so I went there. It was, uh, it was called Shoe City. Um, so they eventually also went out of business, but it was good that I went there because that's where I met my husband. Uh -huh. And um, um, on and off, we lived there. Well, I lived there for four years. And then I got married. And we went to, from there, we went to Massachusetts because that's where my husband was from. And then we went to South Carolina. And um, in the meantime, I had a friend call me that worked at the shoe company in Alabama. And now she worked for a jewelry company. She had always worked for the jewelry company, but it was Zales. Zales had a division called uh -huh. Diamond Park, which was the uh, in-department store fine jewelry. And um, they were going through some trouble. So she worked for the shoe company until they, the company could figure out what they were going to do. And um, so then she went back to the jewelry company. She called me and she said, listen, I have a spot. Why don't you come here? So we went. Um, at this point, my husband and I are married. And um, we go back. He trained prior to that with someone to work in the hotel. And uh, so I go back to Montgomery and uh, um, now I'm in the jewelry business, <laughs> you know, but always in, in management, always managing, right? Always in sales. Um, and, you know, those were the crazy days where you had to be there at six in the morning or you stay till midnight. You, you know, somebody went through the department store and roller skates because there was some sale going on, like the blue light, you know. All those things that um, today is not happening, um, but you know it was a growth and development process. Yeah, and so from there, um, you know, I increased the store in one year. I increased it to um, two hundred thousand, which was a lot for that particular department. It was just it's the jewelry counter in a department store. And how did you increase it? Like, what made you so good? being attentive to every customer, mentoring mm. my staff, right? So when someone comes in and I'm looking for this and we don't have it, showing them what we have. Because, mm. you know, jewelry is not a necessity, right? It's, right. it's something that we want. Uh, maybe we have an outfit we want to accessorize, but it's not really, you can live without it. So just right. showing them what options to give, how you give options to clients versus saying, we don't have it. Uh, what about this? You know, and right. just uh, showcasing the jewelry that we do have, overcoming objections. You know, we at, in a department store, the buyers buy from the jewelers that everyone else buys from because mm. there are so many companies. But a lot of times, a jewelry store will downgrade the product, and um, you know that has happened where people come in and said, my jeweler said this and my pride and joy story, not in this particular store is selling an $8,000 South sea great pearl. 
Wow. Yeah, I had a woman come in and uh, a customer and she came in and she wanted pearls. So we start out looking at white pearls because at this point, Jen told me, we look at the white, um, uh, like Tahari, like pearls, but you know, they're usually six, seven millimeters. They're very small. The South Sea pearl is eight, nine millimeters, sometimes 10. They're generally grayish, although they come in an array of grays. And, um, and so she comes in and she tells me, and so I um, apply my entrepreneurial skills. I call the office. I order two strands. They're both $8,000. The buyer calls me and says, how dare you do this? But I had pull in the office because I sold things and that's how I did yeah. it. You know, they let me do it because I was productive. And um, so she comes in. And she tells me $8,000, my jeweler can do it for five. I said, you know what? Tell your jeweler to string you a set of pearls in the length you want, bring it in and let's look at it. And I already knew what was gonna happen and it did. And, and not for any, it's all good. Like there's no right or wrong, but the so pearls, what happened? The pearls he had were the array of colors, right? So gray comes in a yellowish gray, a gray gray, a dark gray, a very dove gray. Uh -huh. And that's what happened. And um, and so she lays them down. And um, and she and I said, I said, you know, they're beautiful. Because they were. And I said, so the decision you have to make, so this is coaching, right? <laughs> the decision yeah. you have to make is which one do you like better? which one speaks to you. So I never knocked her product. That was a strict no-no. If you worked in my department, we will not knock a department store. You go with what you have and you present your product. And so she looked at it and she said, um, I need to take these home. So she bought both of them. I knew one was come back. And, um, and she brought one back and she kept one. And so that whole process took three months. You know, so now I look at it when you're having a coaching conversation with someone or inviting them into coaching, it's not like a, you know, for some people, it's not like a closed deal on the first sale, right? right. How we're taught, but that's not a, I never operated that way. Like I never operated that way because I knew people would always come back. And so uh, which one did she buy? She bought one of the $8,000 strands <laughs> I had picked out. I didn't, I didn't ask her what she did with her jeweler. So I, I don't know if she kept both. She owned a factory. She certainly uh, um, couldn't afford it. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that going in either. So I never looked, you know, um, I, I will say that for a brief stint, I sold cars and I sold a van and I made, uh, I would have made $1,800 commission on this van because it was raining. No one walked out. It was a couple. They looked tethered and they wanted a van so i spent an hour outside in the rain with them you know three days later they come back with the money and they buy the van so don't um you know my motto is don't size someone up wow wow all right so diane we're going to take our commercial break half our halftime break okay and then we're going to come back and talk about what you're doing now so thank you or you can you can get us up to speed quickly and then we'll talk about what you're doing now. Okay, great.
Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used The Getting Real Process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, instead of a conversation. Wow. Well, that was thank you to our sponsor, Kikori. Uh, Kikori, we call it Kikori now, but it is an app uh, about social emotional learning. If you work at a school and you want to bring it in, it really does impact the students in an amazing way, helps them develop socially and emotionally. And especially after COVID, that is really needed in today's school system. So reach out to Kikori. Kikori. I think it's kokoriapp.com or let me know it's my daughter's company and I can get you in touch with them. So thank you. And don't forget my books. My video talked about my first book, The Second Piece of French Toast. Now we have two more books, which are also about using myself as a guinea pig, real talk, and your bullshit is your blessing. It's all about techniques uh, for freedom to, to create the life you love. So go to gettingrealwithhillary.com or realtalkwithhillary.com and take our quiz and sign up for a chat. So welcome back, Diane Pratt. So we were, where were we? You were, you were, you were uh, selling jewelry and obviously you've, you've, um, you know, moved forward into different things. I know, uh, I don't know what happened to your husband, but I know that he's no longer with us. So anything you want to talk about, I know you've had challenges and then we'll jump into what you're um, doing now. Um, so yeah, so I met my husband in Montgomery, Alabama. We got married. He was 14 years older than I was. And he was, um, you know, he had diabetes. So of course, everyone was worried. <clears throat> Why are you marrying this man? He had children at 17. So his kids were <laughs> close to my age. right? <laughs> but wow. um, yeah, so the connection was really um, more just, um, it was more we were just connected. You know, it was like the soul connection. Um, mm. I don't believe in one connection. I believe you can have many, 
Um, and I, you know, so I, but it, we just clicked. We were on the same page and I could actually be my crazy self with him. You know, um, I didn't have to worry what I said. I didn't have to worry how it comes out. We were forgiving. You know, we had a pact that we would never yell at each other. Doesn't mean we didn't have arguments, but we wouldn't raise our voice and that we would never use bad language with each other. And so we, we kept that pact. And, um, you know, eventually um, one never dies of diabetes, one dies of all the side effects, but we were married uh, just under seven years and then he died. And with that, the day I married him, I became his wife. I became a stepmother of four. And I became a grandmother of two. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Since then, his children have been very gracious. It's, it's been 20 years. Um, there's 11 grandkids because they had additional. So there's about 11, 12 grandkids, um, maybe one or two more with marriage. Um, there are uh, four great-grandchildren. I'm sorry, five uh, through marriage. So five great-grandchildren. And we do see each occasionally, of course, the last time we all were together was probably 2018, because that's, uh, you know, as, as the grandkids grow up and start their own life, right, they're, they're moving, they have jobs, you know, like you just can't take off like you did before. So I experienced um, what I call growing pains that uh, either grandparents or parents experience when your children leave. I was uh -huh. at a graduation and... Um, was sitting there and because I'm intuitive and I feel people's energy, you know, I just really looked at everyone that was there because it was the last time for me that all the siblings were together, all their children were together and all the other extended family aunts and uncles were together to celebrate graduation. And I kind of knew that was the last time. And so what happens is there are no more firsts, right? Because you're celebrating all the firsts of a child and that goes away and then there are no more celebrations. And so when different times throughout the year, when I would feel sad, I was like, what's going on? And then I'm like, oh, last year this happened or the year before. And so being aware of it. So not that when I'm coaching with someone that I, 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 ne I would never say, I know how you feel because I don't, but I can sympathize or empathize because I felt it in a different way, but I can understand, you know. And um, so with that, uh, my career continued. And, uh, you know, then in 2015, I worked for uh, a company and um, they're local, so I'm not going to name them. But <laughs> well, you know what, I am. I worked for Lord & Taylor. Oh, and, okay. You know, as we know, Lord & Taylor downsized, they merged with HBC and then they was my department merged with the department in Saks. And, you know, there was a moment in time, I actually got hired when there was a, um, when they let people go. So there was, you know, so it works both ways, but they had a massive layoff and uh, 250 people. And I was blessed to be one of those 250 people. And in, in the process, you know, I opened uh, Phoenix for Life Coaching and I'm applying all that I've learned throughout my life in coaching people and um, in mentoring associates. And now I do that with business people. And now I'm venturing out to work with companies in mentoring the company's uh, associates and employees because 
if they are focused and having worked closely with a team always, if they're focused, then the company um, makes out, right? And so from coaching, we know that people generally are more focused when they do have a coach because of the accountability and a place to share what they need to share. Um, But also in the process, thanks to you, I was introduced uh, as you wrote your first book and you and I, like you said, we've worked together. I've done your programs and you've done mine. Uh And um, I don't think people ever think about that coaches do continuous education and actually coach each other. Right. So um, in in their programs, but um, so always interested in writing a book, speaking about death because we don't talk about death. You know, you don't run up to someone and say they're in a better place because my brain went to bad words and like, I'm not. And I'm not going to use them on on your show. Um, It's one of the things I won't say, but um, you know, and you don't tell a woman that's had several miscarriages, oh, you'll have a baby because no, her body may not be able to do that. So I'm writing a book called Death Sucks. And it's 25 ways to become unshakable after experiencing loss. And there'll be stories about loss through death and stories about loss because of life, loss of a job, you know, even loss of a neighbor. Uh, If you have a neighbor that you've had for 20 years, it's family, right? Because you've probably barbecued, you've shared intimate, Uh all of a sudden that person moves away. That's a real loss, even though you could still be in contact through the phone and so forth. And, um, and the last story will be mine. And in that book, I will also have different sections on, you know, what do you say? Um, what do you say to someone that had a loss? And sometimes no words are needed. All that person needs you to be there. You know, the other thing people don't think about, don't schedule a date with someone that has freshly lost uh, a loved one or is going through trauma and then cancel. Because for you and I, Okay, you're busy. I get it. For the person that is still in the in the state of bereavement, it's traumatic. It's like uh, another loss. And uh, so bringing awareness. And we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And, um, you know, my one of my clients who I'm not coaching for bereavement, but she sold her business. And she's been my client now for two years. She sold her business. So that was the bereavement part for her. Um, she didn't have to sell her business. It was voluntary, but, you know, so now we're coaching her in her business because she, uh, merged with another firm. And how do you go from being your own boss, having your own employees to now working with a group of people that, um, all have a say and, you know, um, and so got her to do great things in, she wanted to bring training. They were a no. The board members were a no because when you say training, people see money, dollar signs. So, you know, we, we tried that for, you know, two sessions. And I finally said, forget the training. You're going to create a um, workshop and you're going to create two workshops, A and B, and you're going to put in all in the workshop what you want the employees to know. And so she did that. So, you know, I I help my clients think outside of the box. Mm. Um, And it was very successful. And lo and behold, after her talking about training, doing her workshops, they implemented training this year. 
So sometimes it takes a while. It takes to be persistent, right? Um, but um, so yeah, so back to my my book, that really is my intention, right? And uh, my intention is to open up the conversation that we're mourning. And, you know, I say we're mourning from still from 2020. Everyone is in such a hurry to get back to their life. But we all talk about how people are stressed, how people are, you know, some people are overly nice, other people are overly angry and not nice. Um, you know, nobody wants to talk about COVID. We make jokes about COVID or we just want to forget about it. But the reality is when we don't talk about it and we don't acknowledge it, that's when all those stresses come up. And who's to say, you know, they dangle the carrot, I call it, that this can happen again. Well, you know, yes, it could. Are we going to act differently and better? Who knows? But uh, so I think we're still in a state of bereavement of what we had, because although our life and the hectic part of our life is back. It's really not like it was because it's been kind of, um, you know, it's been dinged by COVID, right? And, and yeah. once you have a blemish, that generally doesn't go away. So you just have to deal with it and um, move forward. Mm. So um, what, Yeah. And what do you hope, I know it'll help alter the conversation around death and bereavement. Is that your goal? Is that people are more free around it? I am. Um, you know, after my husband died, um, I went for an interview. So probably like five months later, I went for an interview and I was great. I had, I went for an interview within the company that I was working at, but it was, a, it was an HR position because I wanted to transition into the office again from the field and everything went well. I practiced my answers. I did my research because even if you work for company, you still need to do research for the department you're going for like you know and everything was fine until one of the interviewers said so sorry about your husband and it took me right back there i don't know what i said i thought it went fine the feedback i got from my immediate boss because you knew i was doing this is that i wasn't angry they they thought i was too angry <laughs> so i was like what did I say? Like, you know, I didn't know what I said, but my boss was my advocate. And so six months later, there was a position open in the buying uh, section for um, gold jewelry and pearls. And so I, I applied for that job and he brought me in. So, you know, I didn't give up. I, I still made my numbers and I did because one of the things that happens when you have a loss or death and that you're in bereavement and you're in such a shock one of the things that can happen is you lose your memory. Uh, get words. Really? You know that you know the word, but you forget words. I went from one day remembering phone numbers because we had pagers back then. We didn't really have cell phones. Right. <laughs> you know, cell phones were just, were just a conversation. And um, I went from one day knowing all the numbers, knowing exactly where everything was, to the next day not remembering. My boss at the time was gracious. I, I had three weeks. Uh, that I was allowed to take off during this time, you know, corporate gives you two, two days or three days. If it's a spouse, any other time you want to take off has to be your vacation, but your two days, if you lose a spouse, two paid days paid by the company. 
two or three days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's an uncle or aunt or someone distant, which could be or you you know, then you get one day paid. Anything else you take off is your time. But he actually comped me. He he let me take three weeks, and then I was ready to 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 go back to work. And my first day back, I mean, I laugh about it now. Um, it was someone's birthday. And because I was a, a, a district manager, a regional manager, we I had an office within the department store that I worked in. And one of the office people had a birthday. And this very sweet secretary walks into my office and says, Diane, welcome back. Would you like some birthday cake? And I look at her and I just go, blah. <laughs> what was the last thing my husband and I celebrated? Our birthdays. I was the 12th. He was the uh, 16th. We were at a birthday and, um, and Valentine's Day in between that. And she runs out and I hear and she says, oh, my God, I don't know what I said. She cried. And someone else said she just lost her husband. So she brings me the cake and she's walking in very gently. And I said, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. I said, it, it wasn't you. And um, so, you know, making people aware. Um, and we were at a, a business meeting, different situation. Everyone was sharing. There's about six or seven of us. Everyone was sharing what their others does, right? So whether it was boyfriend, uh. girlfriend, husband, partner. And I said, so I was last. And I said, my husband loved to iron and do the laundry. Dead silence. How do you make fun of a dead person? How do you make fun of that? Dead silence. And, and I just, I laughed. And, and then I was like, okay, this is not going to work. So then I just changed the subject. Yeah. So I, always, I always kid and say, if you want to stop a conversation, <laughs> start talking about death because everybody will stop. Um, so yeah, bringing an awareness that, you know, birth and death is part of our everyday life. And it doesn't really matter what denomination you are because in your religious belief system, because although most religions talk about it within our um, community, we don't really talk about it because mm. we're geared to not having pain. And that brings up pain. And even as I'm interviewing uh, candidates for my uh, book, you know, I say to them, if, if it is about, regardless of what the loss is, I say to them, I just want you to be prepared that your feelings might come back. And if it's too much, I understand. You know, and I had one uh, candidate that we had three tries and um, ultimately that person wrote their own story because otherwise I write it and record it as, mm -hmm. as speaking. Um, and so it takes something, you know, so I, I'm, I'm grateful for everyone that's participating and is willing to share their story. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left, believe it or not. Um, do you want to talk about the work you do and how people would reach you? And I can, I can, um, I'm a testament that Diane is intuitive and gentle and you can be your real self with her and it's a safe space. So, so go ahead. We have a couple minutes for you to tell so, people what you do. <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I say I do a co-active coaching because, you know, in coaching, you don't really tell your clients what to do. You ask questions, you bring them back, you know. Um, I had one client, she she wanted to do something. And I said, what does your intuition say? 
And she says, tell me not to. And I said, well, then I think you need to journal about it <laughs> and see if you're going to go with your brain or your intuition. Um, so, uh, and I support my clients in getting where they want to go. Sometimes it's, you know, accountability. Always look at and celebrate your successes, right? Because our brain says, I, and, you know, you're great at this. You say, I wanted 10. I only got five. The brain is like loser. But we're like, no, we're <laughs> celebrating five. That's fantastic. And um, so doing that and supporting my clients with that and, and really just looking at the conversations we have that stop us. And like you mm. said, non-gentle, I'm not here to judge. And ultimately the client makes the final decision, but I give them all the tools that's necessary to make the decision that will work for them. Yes, thank you. Okay, and how... Do they find you? I know you have the Phoenix in there, but you um, you say it because I can't find my paper. They can find me uh, via phone or text, which is 914-589-8877. Uh, my email is diane at the word phoenix, the number four, and then life coaching. Uh, my website. Diane at phoenix for life coaching.com coaching coaching.com okay right awesome and then my wow. website would be the uh phoenix for life coaching llc.com okay so phoenix for life coach and we'll put that in the notes too so they can find you all right well thank you so much diane anything in closing that you want to say hillary thank you so much i appreciate this opportunity to share i appreciate to be on with you and great i love your show you're an inspiration and um i look forward to more conversations thank you thank you so much and just before we go um a plug for me and my real talk book we're starting a course thursday in two days so if anybody wants to get free and do the our first ever getting real process please let me know contact me at hillary at gettingrealwithhillary.com and just tell me how to reach you. So thank you, Diane. This has been so special. Thank I look you. forward thank to, you. to having you on again when your book is out. Me too. And if any of your listeners have a story they want to share, have them contact me. 